everybody, and welcome to the Code Enforcement Network with uh, Pete Roque and Cecilia Muela. Cecilia is going to join us in a bit, but we're here with our different guests. Today we have Jennifer Morris from the city, uh, county, county of Riverside, and Jennifer runs a multi-agency task force on marijuana enforcement, and she's here to talk a little bit about it today. Hi. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I am with the County of Riverside. I am the supervisor of the Cannabis Enforcement Team. And um, I am currently, County of Riverside is the host of a multi-jurisdictional uh, cannabis meeting. It started off kind of like a way for us to connect with other jurisdictions in the state of California. And it's kind of turned into some training. We do some training. Uh, we have it about every other month or every third month. And right now we have about 40 jurisdictions that uh, do attend the Zoom meeting. Um, it originally was a brainchild we thought of getting together with the, the different uh, jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And um, then COVID happened, which was a really great opportunity for us to open it up Zoom. And we can reach up into Northern California, into Central California, and down into the very most Southern parts of, of California and really learn from each other and learn what's working, learn what's not working, uh, discuss the anything, problems that we might be having, problems and trends that we might be seeing. And um, I really think that the more jurisdictions that we have, the more we're going to learn. We deal with outdoor grows, we deal with indoor residential grows, and we also deal with uh, dispensaries, uh, legal and illegal. So I, I've had the opportunity to join some of these uh, discussions and they're awesome. Um, and, and we realize how many different types of enforcement techniques there, there are. Um, for example, um, in your jurisdiction, you use a lot of injunctions where we use uh, red tags and, and building code. So, and, and you know, and, and being able to attend these, we get to learn a lot of the different uh, different methodologies of enforcement, which is awesome because some of us fall under planning, under building, under under uh, the police department. So there's so many ways to enforce this particular subject because apart from the illegal dispensaries, there's also the enforcement of legal dispen dispensaries and legal grows and, and, and legal operations like that, correct? Yes. Um, so of course, you know, California is a state that has embraced the legalization of cannabis. But that means that also there are um, the the not legal market that are trying to benefit off of that. And so we have one foot in the door with the legal market and we also have one foot in the door with the illegal market. So being able to address the legal the illegal market helps protect the legal market. And that's what our ultimate goal is. Our ultimate goal is to enable that legal market to thrive and to to really take over and, and become the dominant force rather than the illegal market. Awesome. And that, that has to do with um, addressing the bad players. And uh, in the County of Riverside, we have uh, we had a really bad dispensary problem at this time. We really don't have dispensaries. Um, I think that's because we are on a path to legalization. So the dispensaries are really, you know, making sure that they're doing the right thing. So they don't want to get caught and removed from the list. Um, but we have a, a, a large amount of outdoor grows that are illegal. Mm -hmm. 
uh, high desert outdoor grows that are illegal. And so we have uh, have a process that we've been using. We, like you said, we do litigation. We like to sue the owners um, where we can come in and really step in where law enforcement can't is law enforcement can do a warrant, but they can't hold that property owner accountable because they have to show that the property owner has knowledge. Uh, the great thing about the civil law is that we can hold the property owner accountable for the nuisance that is occurring on his property. We have power that law enforcement does not. In the illegal cannabis uh, world, we can have a much more far-reaching hand that will hold the players accountable because, of course, who is the accountable party? It's the owner. It's, you know, yes, of course, we have owners that are truly victims, but in many of these illegal large-scale cannabis grows, the owner has purchased the property just for the, the use of growing illegal cannabis. So, Jennifer, I, I know we have a couple guests coming on, and Cecilia just joined us. Hi, Cecilia. Hi, Jen. And um, so if somebody wanted more information on, on joining this um, this meeting, how, how can they reach you? Absolutely. You can email me. My email is Jen, J-E-N, Mori, M-O-R-R-I. They didn't have enough room for my entire name. So Jen Mori at Rivco.org, R-I-V-C-O. So um, my email is J-E-N, M as in Mary, O-R-R-I, at rivco.org and i'd love for you to reach out and and come i'm thinking of actually doing a separate meeting that would include other states and other jurisdictions because i know that we can really learn and other jurisdictions can learn from us uh, i know that there are as, as legalization of cannabis moves across the country into states that are just now having uh, uh, the legalization maybe for medical marijuana, you can learn from where we were five years ago. And and I would love, I I wanna give the information for free, I would love to help you out and, and bring you so that you're starting the race at a much higher uh, pace than having to learn from the mistakes that we had to learn from. Awesome. And, and I've attended the, the training, Cecilia, I believe you did a training for them. And, yes. you know, and, you know, I've done, I don't think I've done a training, but uh, I can get down to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I'm always looking for trainers. I'm always looking for, for people just to speak. I could talk about cannabis all day long. So, so well, thank you. Yeah. Thank Jennifer. you so much thank for having us. us. And she is yeah. here live at the KCO conference. So yes. at the state association and she's spreading her wealth of knowledge with all our followers out there, all 10,000 of you. And we yes. appreciate it and yeah, reach out. And this is open for jurisdictions only, correct? Or is it open to anybody? Well, we try to keep it for government. You can do, we'll, we'll talk to code enforcement. We'll talk to sheriffs and law enforcement. We'll talk to building and safety. Um, We'll talk to whoever, you know, is in the regulatory game, whether it be legalization or dealing with the illegal grows. Uh, I love to learn from people. So I, I learn from somebody every time I talk to them. Awesome. Thank you, Jennifer. Okay, thank, thank you. you thank you for having me. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Cecilia. Right, Jen. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. So, yeah. So our next guest is from... Uh, Granicus, which is somebody to discuss short-term rentals. So we have a lot of people around. Uh, so here's our next guest. 
Hello, everybody. And who are you, young lady? Uh, my name is Betsy Sachs, and I'm an account manager at Granicus, specifically on the host compliance team. So I work with short-term rentals and all of our current customers who are trying to address the short-term rental market, like Airbnbs and VRBOs in their jurisdictions. So I have the pleasure of teaching a class with the CEO, uh, well, the, the manager, the host, the short-term rental manager, um, Oreg Bisner. Uh, Binzer or is it Binzer? Binzer. I always get that one messed up. You know, but he knows who he is. <laughs> but end of the day, um, you know, the the purpose of that course is going to be just on educating people on the evolution of short-term rentals, uh, what jurisdictions can do. I'm also going to do a case study on short-term rentals on in the previous jurisdiction I was in, which is the city of Garden Grove. Um, we had a complete ban on that um, jurisdiction, and uh, we're going to explain how it was formulated, and then Oryx's going to go on and give statistics um, and case law and a lot of good stuff about short-term rentals. So now, uh, can you tell me um, about uh, the software that you're here? Absolutely. So we are working with everybody, um, you know, all different types of jurisdictions, small cities, large cities, counties, uh, over 100 customers in California. So really exciting to be here and get to actually meet some people in person in real life for the first time. But um, it's everything from, you know, some jurisdictions who have a ban in place and are looking to just identify exactly where the short term rentals are so they can then go after them and get them in compliance um, to, you know, we work with some planning departments as well who are trying to get an ordinance in place, work with code enforcement, obviously, for the ongoing compliance monitoring and just making sure that those short-term rental properties are permitted appropriately following the ordinance. Um, and then the finance side as well, you know, collecting taxes from the short-term rentals is really important. And um, sometimes people open, you know, a, a short-term rental, an Airbnb or VRBO, and don't really assume the tax implications of that. And so are not necessarily paying taxes that they should be, but it's just like the traditional lodging industry, you know, a hotel or motel, and they need to be paying a lodging tax or transient occupancy tax as well. So our software helps you cover all of those different things. So it's, it's an a la carte solution that is either, you know, you can get just the one module to identify those addresses or the full suite. And one of the things that, um, you know, in my previous jurisdiction, we actually had um, Granicus and um, they actually set up a, a phone call line where they had somebody 24-7 to assist us. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit how that works? Yeah, there's a 24-7 hotline and web portal that we can put into place as well so that, you know, if there are issues with short-term rentals, they can be a very divisive issue for a lot of jurisdictions. People either love them or maybe you're living next to one and you hate them. <laughs> um, but if you have issues with short-term rentals, whether that's, you know, illegal parking, trash out at the wrong time, party issues, people trespassing on your property, you need a way to actually complain about that, provide evidence and documentation. So we have the short-term rental hotline so that you can call in 24 hours a day or uh, use the web form and actually upload some of that documentation so you can upload pictures or videos um, just to really help the code enforcement side go after those properties for breaking the ordinance or breaking the law. Yeah, that's really wonderful because as you know, when we're out there, different departments in code enforcement trying to set up short-term rental policy, ordinances, enforcement, it becomes a little tedious because we're looking at every little moving part and trying to make sure that you're not forgetting something. So um, that's great information that you're sharing. And I like your shirt. 
Thank you very much, Granicus. Here we go. <laughs> it looks like a very old school shirt. I'm like, I, I need that shirt. I like it. <laughs> Try to get me to wear a mask, but we're, it's, not, it's not really being fixed here. So we're like, I'm not, you know, big G. Yeah, you know? Got, some good, got some good Granicus masks over there that are really oh. nice athletic material. It's oh. great. Hey, Pete, you're going to have to grab some for me so I can get them from you next uh, in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so one of the things that, that we, um, that uh, we also did with uh, with uh, with uh, with Granicus, uh, we had a, a webinar with uh, Mr. Mr. Friedman today. Jeffrey, Jeffrey oh Friedman, yeah, yes. yeah, and it, it was and we basically talked about forming ordinances and what different jurisdictions need to do in order to um, take in consideration when creating these ordinances. Because w what we learned was that many cities just copy and paste people's ordinances, and it, it's not a one shoe one size uh, fits all kind yeah. of approach. So you know somebody has to come in and actually look at your ordinance and work on it and and decide what the right fit for is for you. And Jeffrey's great, you know, he goes through everything on those calls. So we set up an hour long call with our current customers, with potential customers, just about what some of those best practices are, what they look like. Um, and it's everything from the upstream, what he calls upstream issues to downstream issues. And upstream issues would be, you know, zoning wise, you know, preventing short term rentals in some, in some parts of the jurisdiction, but allowing them in others. Um, and then again, those downstream issues like, parking issues, trash collection issues, and then the party houses. So everything and trying to figure out what your main priority is and then crafting your ordinance from there. And then one of the things that you'll, you'll love is, um, you know, when you get these phone calls, you actually record these phone calls and they are hilarious. So good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, you get some good, there good are, There are some messages that go around through the, the company Slack where we'll say like, you have to go listen to this complaint that just came in about this property. They, they are truly, you know, they're unique. Sounds like a sounds like some of them sound like a good place to be, yeah. uh, a fun and entertaining place to be. Some of them are just absolutely wild. You know, people are using the wrong dock and are falling off the dock, and they're concerned <laughs> about safety. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, people are you know people are having a party, and the party next door is interrupting their party. <laughs> it's it's, it's classic I mean, You know, us the code enforcer, we get these. They're, they're upstaging. They're upstaging yeah. them. Well, yeah. you, know, you know what? Um, I think over the last year when I was using Granicus, um, I, I think I had a, a good collection of uh, audio files. I mean, I try to save the best, you know, my, my best collection out there for teaching material. You know, the, the ones like, oh, I'm going to sue you and your dog. <laughs> you know, but these um, short-term mental ones are, are, are classic. So, um, but thank you for joining us. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, we really appreciate your time. Anything else you want to ask, Ms. Muela? Yes, don't forget to go get my Granicus masks. Oh, we are right across, we are right across the way, so I can absolutely get you a mask. I'll send him home with a few. Yeah, oh, thank you. And thank you so much out. for yeah. Thank you so much for that great info. I know I was looking and researching, and it became really helpful for me because we're working on our short-term rental policy right now. So, thank you so much for that info. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am here to help. I'll be here all week. So if there are any questions, feel free to send them my way. You got it. Thanks. Awesome. Very nice to meet you. So right now people are scrounging along, you know, so we're going to... Can you grab Amanda real quick? Camera's going to shut off, Pete. Who's mine? Or mine? Yep, yours. Okay. Oh, there it goes. And now we have Miss Amanda. Pope oh, Miss Amanda. Hi there. So she's our returning uh, champion. 
<laughs> here on, at Code Network. Um, so she, um, Amanda was previously here to talk about receiverships. Yes. Uh, her and her cohorts are here. I know the the prosecutor uh, portion of it, the receivership portion of it. And is there another portion? No, I'm the director of city receiverships at Jones and Mayer. So I just do receiverships for city clients all throughout the state of California. Since you weren't on the receivership uh, on the receivership one, so Amanda could give us a quick um, uh, rundown on what it is that she does. Uh, she shared it with Rachel, you on the other show. So can you, uh, do you have any questions on receivership before she- I have, I have all kinds of questions. Um, I love questions. Let's hook it up. All kinds of questions. Okay, so let's start. Um, I think one of the questions that I had asked before was when we have property, that has a second interest by means of the state of California, how do we maneuver through receiverships when there's a second interest on that property? So by state of California liens, do you mean like FTB liens or property tax yeah. liens? Yeah. So that is not an impediment to a receivership. Those would get paid. They do get paid first though. So if you have a property like that, the most important thing to do is before you file your case or even accept the case, you do an analysis to determine what the value of the property is going to be, what the costs are going to be, and are you going to be able to pay those off? And another thing you can do, and I do this often, is where you reach out to the state, or I've done this even with the IRS, where you reach out to them and you negotiate those ahead of time to see if they'll take less. Because if you think about it, um, right now I have a property where the IRS has like a $115,000 tax lien that's just been sitting there for wow. years, right? Well, they know that the owner's never going to sell the property, right? But yeah. if the receivership results in the sale of the property, they're likely to get something, right? They may not get the yeah. whole amount if they're willing to negotiate it down, uh, but they're going to get it as opposed to just sitting on, on lien on title forever. Right. right. And then, you know, as another government entity, they're often strangely supportive of what we're trying to do, right? They understand that we're trying to clear blight and we're trying to increase, you know, property values for the neighborhood and for the city. And uh, it can be a long upfront process to try and do that. But sometimes the property values are high enough where you don't even have to worry about that. That you, you know, you look at the property and you say, okay, in a fully rehabbed sale at the end of the case, we're going to have enough money to pay off whatever liens are on title, pay the receiver, pay the city. And then only those liens, only government liens have um, automatic priority. So if there's like a bank lien, that all gets paid later. So you don't have to worry about that in the same way that you have to worry about a government lien. Wow, wonderful. That's that's really helpful um, to understand because as we maneuver through receiverships, sometimes you don't know all of those tidbits. And so if, if I can make a recommendation, you know, work with your attorney, such as Amanda, you know, get, get all those questions answered, get it, you know, locked down and written up and all, all that, uh, what I like to call airtight case, right? Yes. Ready to go so that it makes it easier. Um, Amanda, can you also tell us the different types of receiverships that you've seen when it... Uh, relates to code enforcement? Yes. So they kind of run the gamut. You know, you have very typical, let's say, vacant and abandoned property. That's a common one, right? Uh, they can be fire damage properties, a lot of hoarder properties, um, you know, people that either can't help themselves are either, you know, unwilling or unable to comply with the law uh, and the receivership can be a really effective tool to maybe get them the help they need. You can do multi-tenant properties. So you can do apartment complexes, illegal construction. A lot of times code officers will ask me like, well, the house doesn't actually look that bad from the outside, right? They may have some violations, but it doesn't look that bad. And so 
that doesn't necessarily matter, right? Because we all know sometimes in the legal edition, um, you know, in a legal garage conversion, like the photos don't always look bad, right? Or from the street, it doesn't always look bad, but that doesn't mean it's safe, right? Right. right. So um, I actually had a hearing yesterday. We have a multi-unit apartment unit that the owner turned eight or nine units into 17 units. Illegal oh, my goodness. And their attorney's arguing, well, yeah, you know, maybe some electrical stuff, but it doesn't really look that bad. The tenants, they always say this, right? The tenants aren't complaining. What's the city care so much? And so what I said to the judge is, look, these were illegally constructed. So we don't know what dangers lurk behind, you know, we know it's not safe for people to live in illegally constructed units because we, we can't verify the city, can't verify if they've met code, if they have the proper, you know, requirements. And just because someone's not complaining <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that it's legal, right? You can have people living in illegal places and still not complain to the city. Yeah, that's ex that's exactly right. I mean, it, can you imagine if we all had X-ray vision? We'd be we wouldn't be around, right? We'd know exactly what we needed every single right. time. But right. um, those are very valid points that a lot of the times um, it's missed on the on the receiving end. You know that we can't see through cavities of walls. We can't look at that electrical to see if it was connected or installed properly, or plumbing or mechanical. So uh, very valid point. Great info. Right, right. Any other specific questions, any hang-ups? It sounds like you're very familiar with receiverships in general. I so am. Yeah, so I had actually a, um, yeah, a great opportunity to work with the city of Oakland as well. And so the city of Oakland actually had taken on a couple of receiverships towards the tail end of my tenure there. Um, but I know that... Um, you know, we, it's always an uphill battle when you don't quite understand how those could positively impact your community, you know, by taking on a receivership action versus drawing out a code case for a very, very long time and then having the neighbors be upset when something's being done. Um, can you talk about injunctive relief? Yes. So um, I can back up a bit and explain to get a receiver appointed. There's a lot of it's a very specific procedural statute, right? It's under the health and safety code. There's a lot of things you have to prove. And one of, you know, those things is essentially have to prove substandard, substantially dangerous building, right? So does it have all these very particular violations that would allow for the court to say, okay, you've met these requirements, let's appoint a receiver. So sometimes a property is not quite there, right? It's got other public nuisance violations. And so what, instead of initiating a health and safety code receivership case, you can initiate what's called like a public nuisance abatement case. So what you're saying to the, the court is this, this property is a public nuisance. We don't know if it necessarily falls under the health and safety code receivership laws, but it violates all these other laws, right? The municipal code, the government code, um, it's injurious to health, right? Here's all the violations. In a public nuisance case, you go in and you say to the court, we want an injunction. An injunction is essentially just a court order to tell someone to either do something or stop doing something. So in the context of a public nuisance case for a city, what that order looks like is the judge would say, okay, these violations exist, and now I'm ordering you to stop maintaining the property in violation of the law. Essentially, it's, it's a way to tell someone yeah. to clean up your property. And yeah. if you don't... Uh, then we can appoint a receiver to enforce the order. So you get the court order that says, you know, you have X amount of time to clean up these things or stop, stop violating the law. And if the owner doesn't comply, then you can go back into court and say, okay, 
they didn't comply with the court order. They're in contempt of court. We want a receiver to come in and enforce that order. And then the receiver, it's a, just a different code section under the California law that you get that receiver appointed. Uh, but it's effectively the same result. The receiver comes in at the end of the day, does the work that needs to be done, and then likely will sell the property and the case is over. It's a longer and generally more expensive process than a receivership because now you're in general litigation uh, and everyone knows that litigation is expensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, receiverships are just a lot faster, but that is a route to go if you can't quite meet the receivership standard. Wonderful. And so um, I've seen, for example, injunctive relief used with a property owner who has multiple properties, in some cases, multiple multifamily properties that are in standard state. Can you talk a little bit about um, how that might get coupled into one injunctive relief case or is it individual ones? Or how does that work? Yeah, what you can do, and you can actually do this with receiverships too, is you can take, if you have an owner, like a let's say a slumlord, let's be honest, right? If you have a slumlord who has multiple properties, you can file them all as one case and then you just separate out the evidence for those properties. So you talk about the, you describe the property specifically, you do the APNs and then in, in you know, declarations in support of your legal case, you can just break out the properties and say like, here's the violations on this property, here's the violations on this property, but they're all similar violations, they're all similar violations of law and obviously it's the same owner, the same person who would be responsible the one thing you do have to be careful about, though, is especially in a receivership case, you have to name everyone with an interest in the property. So if property A, has, let's say Wells Fargo has a mortgage on property A, but not on property B, you can still put them in the same case. You just need to make it clear that Wells Fargo's interest is only going to be affected as to, you know, property A. So there's a few, you know, technicalities, but yes, you can definitely do it all as one case. And I think courts in general, uh, especially right now, being a little backlogged with the COVID caseloads, I think courts would appreciate the efficiency of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's really great to hear because we oftentimes, especially in larger cities, um, will see one particular uh, owner own a multitude of properties all in disarray, the yes. deferred maintenance, you name it. Um, and here we are coming and trying to, you know, change and improve the quality a lot. But there's so many properties that it almost becomes hit and miss with, you know, getting the property owner to be responsive. Um, but I really like what, what you explained as far as the injunctive relief for those that are watching, you know, being able to provide not only a stop it, stop doing, stop creating a substandard, but also take care of that substandard get it done by means of whatever it is that you need to do to improve the quality of life in units. So um, I think that uh, it's good to know and to be in the know. And Amanda, um, if you could share your contact information for anybody out there that wishes to get in contact with you to know a little bit more about those procedures, that'd be awesome. Yes, I, I'd be happy to. Again, my name is Amanda Pope. I'm the director of city receiverships at a law firm called Jones and Mayer. We service the entire state of California, so check out our website. But if you want to contact me directly, my email address is aap, as in Pope, at jones-mayor.com. And that's the fastest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. She, Thank you. She had, she had a lot of great info, and this is more California-based. Because yes. I know we have um, audience from all over the country, and, you know, and that may not be applicable. But, you know, in California, this is it. I mean, 
she's good. That's why she's on her show. <laughs> well, you thanks, Pete. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so we're right, right here sharing war stories with different uh, different vendors. And, you know, she, we had some good uh, hoarder stories. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, I'm uh, talking about my army crawl back in the city of Belfast. <laughs> Going through a bed of uh, uh, poop order, so yeah. it was it was pretty interesting. Everybody had a we had a one yeah. hour because that's how we are. Yes, you know, code enforcement. yes. You just can't make. We'd always just say, my very first boss I ever worked for said, you, "You can't make this up. You go into these houses and you think you've seen it all by now. I've been doing this over ten years. Your property inspections and re receiverships in particular." And yeah continually surprised by what I see. <laughs> right, absolutely. You know, um, I was in the, in the beautiful state of Washington uh, last month, and um, one of the questions that I always ask when I'm presenting is, has, has anybody seen the show Hoarders.com? With, with and they're like, yeah, we, we have. And I said, that is our life every day. <laughs> that is who we do and what we do every single day. Um, and it really brings perspective. But to your point, Amanda, just when you thought you've seen it all, something else comes out of the blue and hits you from left field. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely interested in the job that we do. But, you know, the overall and end goal is always to promote you know, healthy housing across the state. So we are very thankful for you. Well, thank you. And that's the nice thing about the remedy itself. The health and safety code receivership is a very effective remedy to address like a multitude of violations. So it's kind of a blanket remedy that you can put over all sorts of violations. So thank you for having me. This has been lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And, thank you. And again, you can reach her at AAP at jones-mayor.com. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be waiting for our next guest. Yeah. Do you want me to go get your next guest? Yeah, sure. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> cool. Bye, Bye, Amanda. Thank you. Likewise. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, vendors here that a lot, a lot of people with great info. And oh, here comes Miss uh, Let's see what your granite is. <laughs> Yay. Well, so yeah, give me that. There you go. So this is your mask <laughs> over here. <laughs> and we're over here we also have let me see uh the standards and codes teams right here so we have these go home safe stickers that we're giving right out on. and we right also on. have the uh this uh lovely pin you know get your lapel pins get your lapel pins y'all yeah they'll be available at ace also so the standards and crew i know i know right now they're in a session so they're somewhere walking around right here so and that's been a pretty interesting uh, first day. All my swag is gone. So we were giving out these uh, nice books. Where Very cool. Your, note, your notebooks. I figured uh, that's useful. We ordered the uh, ring lights for the uh, cell phone so you can take uh, more. Uh, for, this, for the selfies, for the, for the podcasts and the We have your lovely four-leaf uh, four leaf uh, lanyards so this is um, the part uh for all of our guests that are watching this is the part where pete's given his his marketing swag of four leaf you know check out the cool stuff the cool gadgets come come and check out four leaf and i even wore my four leaf green see yeah, four leaf green. <laughs> yeah so here we have a managing partner at standards and codes academy this is mr greg smith with gms uh presentations and he uh so what's going on greg Good. I'm good. Uh, good to see you, Cecilia. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just yeah, just here at the uh, California Association of Code Enforcement Officers uh, annual seminar. Uh, this is kind of a coming home for me. I've worked my first jobs in code enforcement in Southern California, uh, and so I love to come back here when I can and meet with uh, the people that I 
grew up and code with and then meet some new people. We'll be teaching tomorrow and Thursday. What are you teaching? Teaching uh, hoarding, uh, how to deal with hoarding, and then uh, case documentation on Thursday. So can you give us a sneak peek on your hoarding class? Oh boy, <laughs> it's a sneak peek. I it's want. always an interesting sneak peek when you talk about hoarding. But um, I go through. Um, obviously, I've been in the uh, code enforcement realm for about twenty plus years, and uh, talk about cases that I've worked, and also uh, some methods and methodology uh, and best practices on how to deal with hoarding cases, including the uh, harm reduction method. Uh, we go over some forms and stuff, and uh, a little history about hoarding, and then uh, you know go through some of the symptoms that people encounter. Yeah, do you do um do you do some um, some war stories in your class? Oh yeah, it starts off with a war story <laughs> right off the bat. You know, hoarding classes are are the, are the best when you share pictures. So. Yeah, so our last guest Amanda because she deals with a lot of receivership with hoarding. Uh, yes. So we were, we were exchanging nice uh, war stories here yeah. in Mario's. So you know, yeah, they get interesting. They get interesting. So uh, folks that don't know, there's cat hoarders, there's uh, newspaper hoarders, and book hoarders. There's um you know trash collectibles. Hoarders. Collectibles, metal hoarders, yep. collectibles. Yep. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's important. The important thing to understand is that hoarding, as as Greg is going to be teaching in his class, is it's a mental health illness. It is protected by ADA, so it is a recognized disability. Um, and even though we we have some crazy stories that you know. Greg's going to share with y'all um, regarding what he's seen and what he's maneuvered through. Um, at the end of the day, it's the impacts, not just on the dwelling unit in the neighborhood, but also the impacts on the person and how that person is relating to and how they're connecting to the items that they're hoarding. Um, so Greg, can you give us like a quick little sneak peek of your class? Yeah, I've, I've very much so. Um, I thank you for, for talking about the mental health portion. Um, when I first created this class oh, five or six years ago, uh, I, had, I attended numerous hoarding trainings and uh, what was kind of missing from them was talking about the mental health portion. So uh, the biggest focus during the class is on the mental health portion of the, the disorder and talking about how uh, we all in communication classes heard like when you talk to somebody there's always something going on with them and you need to be, be respectful and empathetic towards that and with people with hoarding disorder there is 110 percent something going on with them so uh, it's about uh, recognizing all those kind of those tells uh, the things they might tell you in their stories about how these things might have come to be uh, and respecting them and, and that the mental health portion and being empathetic that this isn't going to be a case where you're going to get easy uh, compliance and you might not even get compliance that you would consider uh, for yourself and in your silo uh, compliance that you would live in so uh, it's about breaking out of those silos realizing that the mental health portion is is the biggest part of it and using uh, the basic skills and the best practices, uh, harm reduction method, to try to get to these cases as easy as possible, uh, knowing that they are some of the most difficult cases you might ever encounter. You know, you, you hit on a great point, Greg, um, and I've had the pleasure of, you know, working with Greg and hearing his awesome classes and presentations. He has such great material, but one of the very important things that he just said was empathy. And in code enforcement, we're always told you have to be empathetic and sympathetic, but there's a direct difference between being sympathetic and empathetic. And like Greg said, is being empathetic, being able to put ourselves in the shoes of the person that's going through these traumas, right? This 
mental health, um, the, the things that they're dealing with to truly understand and get the real essence of what it is that they're trying to share with us so that we can be able to maneuver through that case and be able to get them to compliance. But it's really important for us to be able to dive in, as Greg said, really listen to hear what they're saying. Absolutely. I, yeah, like you said, she said, uh, it's, it is the basis of what code enforcement should be, is an empathetic approach to compliance. And yeah. with hoarding, that comes out, you know, tenfold. Uh, because if you if you come at it, and, and no judgments, I'd say that in my class, no judgments on how anybody approaches a hoarding case. There are things we just have to do sometimes. But um, if you do approach it from that strict enforcement uh, and short timeline deadline, kind of approach it usually doesn't really work very well so uh, I do teach that if, if you have the opportunity to approach it from the empathetic approach and get the resources uh, mental health and organization and all those things to it that you're, you're on a better path and uh, you're more likely to have success and if somebody needs that training where can we go for the training yeah absolutely so I, my company is GMS presentations and training uh, www.gmspresentationsandtraining.com you can also go to the standards and codes academy www.standardsandcodesacademy.com um, and I do offer those online uh, throughout the year uh, right now it's kind of my traveling time so I'm, I'm going to be here uh, this week I'll be at the American Association of Code Enforcement in two weeks and then in uh, Kansas for the Kansas Association of Code Enforcement uh, in three weeks or something like that. So, um, but I do offer those online and I do offer specialty classes for jurisdictions if that's what they need. And what's the next, uh, what's the next uh, class? The, you're teaching two classes, right? Two classes. Yep. The other class what? Uh, case documentation and evidence, which is heavily tied to hoarding cases because uh, as code enforcement officers, we know we have to document everything we do in great detail because every case may go to court. And in a hoarding case, it, it couldn't be more important because you're going to deal with uh, statements by the person, you're going to deal with statements by a family member, pictures are going to be everything in a hoarding case because uh, you may have to show those to your city councilor or a hearing officer or court officer. Um, so we talked about in that class how to properly document things. We kind of go through the whole entire city process of those things um, and how to uh, write a good report make sure all the evidence is in there, no opinion, no emotion, uh, just facts, ma'am. So uh, we deal with all that stuff in that class. So, so you say in two weeks you're going to be at ACE. I'm going to be at ACE too, so stop by and visit. Uh, we have a four-leaf table with standards and coach table. Uh, Cecilia, you're going to be teaching there as well. Um, so what, what are you teaching, uh, Greg? Uh, I'm teaching officer safety at ACE. I have to think about these things. <laughs> they're, coming, they're coming fast and furious, but uh, I'll be teaching officer safety uh, to the entire attendance uh, the first day of ACE. Uh, that is obviously heavily, heavily focused on uh, going home safe. So we have a little sticker here, Standards of Codes Academy. Uh, going home safe is the mantra and doing everything you can from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep uh, in your personal life and in your professional life to go home safe to your family or to your loved ones or to your pets or whatever it is that you find uh, drives you to survive. And uh, we talk about that in great detail, talk about some of the physical aspects, we talk about uh, how to approach properties, all those things that go into code enforcement and officer safety. Any other classes? You're teaching housing inspections. And housing inspections. Uh, thank you for remembering these things. <laughs> I made the flyer. So. <laughs> uh, I do teach a housing inspections 101 course uh, that is on, focused on the IPMC, the International Property Maintenance Code. And we go through how to apply the property maintenance code to rental housing inspections. One, uh, I just talked to a gentleman from Sacramento and uh, 
one of the big differences coming from California to the uh, Midwest was I never had done rental inspections or worked in a jurisdiction that had that. Heavily in the Midwest, there's, there are rental inspection programs, which my jurisdiction does have. And uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of code enforcement yeah. than uh, standardized code enforcement is. And it's uh, class I teach, Housing Inspection 101 goes through from beginning to end, from the beginning of the inspection to writing up the report to all the, the weird stuff you might find in a property uh, and even some legal stuff covered in there too. So. And Cecilia, you're teaching courses at ACE. So what are you teaching at ACE? Ooh, I get the fun ones. Just kidding, they're all fun. So I'm teaching mold and how to maneuver through mold enforcement, what to look for. Um, we're gonna have some model policy and procedures as well as going through some of the reports that we get and understanding how we process those, those reports being that we're not um, mycology or uh, professionals. But in addition to that, I'm gonna be teaching on bed bugs. So bed bugs is awesome and I have a special treat. I have a little bed bug sample to show everyone so yeah, that'll you be do. Fun. you're horrible yeah <laughs> they're amazing <laughs> you know what's funny like you you taught that in vegas one time i remember and you brought the vials and i think somebody tried to steal one of your vials they did they tried to take it like let me have it i'm like no 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 those are mine they were a little worried but you know it's always it's always fun when you ask who checked their bed last night and they're like oh no i didn't <laughs> So it's it's cool. It's a good two cool classes. I'm excited to be there as well with you all. So it'll be fun. Yeah, and what's uh, what's going on with standards and codes? Standards and codes right now. Uh, we are still working on a uh, in-person conference in Austin, Texas, next May. Uh, we're still through going through the motions of that, talking with uh, Austin and hopefully getting that going within the next, I'd say, month. Uh, we're, we're really excited to hopefully put together this two-and-a-half-day program in Austin, Texas, on the ground, just like we are here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really something we've, we've wanted to do since the beginning, and uh, we're hoping that will still come to fruition. So. And also you, you have Kansas coming up. Yep, and Kansas, yes. What, so, it's in Manhattan, Kansas. Manhattan, Kansas. And uh, first week in November. Mm -hmm. Uh, teaching myself and Marcus Kellum, who's uh, with Metric One and Standards and Codes Academy, uh, and also Kelvin Bean with uh, Code Performance Consultants. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I had to think through that one. Uh, all three of us will be there in Kansas teaching for their association at their annual conference, uh, and we're really excited for that. I've never been to Kansas and taught for those folks, so yeah, uh, it's very fun. And Standards and Codes just did the uh, Florida Association yes. a couple months ago where, you know, they hosted the uh, the whole conference. So that one wrapped up. It was very fun. And, and yeah, it's, yeah it's that was a good so time. good stuff going out. And they will be at Ace. They will have a table at Ace. Yep, we'll have a table at Ace. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so you can get some pins if you are online and you're, since you can't travel down to here in California. So, again, here's some pins um, that uh, for your lapel. Very nice, nice pins. Um, Anything else? No, I appreciate you having me on. No, no, Greg, you're yeah. always always welcome. Yeah, this has been great. Cecilia, it's been great seeing you, even virtually. Thanks. So yes. yeah, remember so the mantra, go home safe. Go home and, safe, y'all. Uh, yep. Everybody be careful and it's been a pleasure. So awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, take it All easy. Right. Have a great time. Well, that pretty much uh that's close to an hour or so. I mean, we have a lot of guests and everybody's in the classroom, so everybody's getting out to come talk to us. So um yeah, so it's it's awesome. Wish you were here. I, you know, it's it's uh, California's not California without Cecilia. So, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, well, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye. I think Cecilia froze. Bye.